Before we jump into Psalm 34, and you probably have it in front of you, and hopefully you have your psalm journal. If you didn't get one last week, hopefully you got one on the way in today. This is a gift for you, but it's hopefully uh, a super helpful tool for you as well. As we go throughout the psalms this summer, and probably going forward in future summers, it's a great place to take notes, to be reminded of what God's teaching you, and what we talk about here while we're together on Sundays. Uh, But before we jump in, I just want to take a couple minutes uh, and share with you a few words about a topic that many of us care deeply about and that has caused uh, a lot of commotion, uh, a lot of joy, a lot of angst, a lot of separation and division in our country, especially over the last couple days. The next few moments are for particularly those who uh, are members here at TGP or you would call this your church home. If you're visiting or you're this first couple times with us, you can feel free to listen along, but this is almost like a conversation around the dinner table uh, for a family encouragement. With the overturning of Roe v. Wade this past week, there's been much response in a lot of different directions. I want to encourage us as redeemed followers of Jesus, both brothers and sisters together in him, and also as fellow humans to those all around us in this world, to respond in a way that makes Jesus known and to be encouraged from scripture to do so. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says this, let all that you do be done in love. Colossians 4, 5 through 6 says these words, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious as seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The Imago Dei is what we are thinking about and talking about when we approach the topic of abortion, the image of God. And it's the image of God that the people of God are called to protect. The image of God in the unborn, the image of God in the underprivileged, the image of God in the abused, the image of God in the oppressed and the displaced, and the image of God in those you disagree with. So this morning, I want to encourage us to be gracious and humble, even as we are probably overjoyed in celebrating what we see to be God's hand in our world. I believe that an attack on the image of God, whether it's in the unborn or those who have already been born, is an attack against God himself, since all people bear his image. I also believe that Christians should humbly celebrate this momentous decision as most of us have prayed for since 1973. But this also creates a need in the people of God, a need to promote the goodness of God and his grace in our world and in our lives from the womb to the tomb. And this is what I want to encourage us with today. If we are truly pro-life, then we must, now more than ever, come alongside those in need including women and children, through both spiritual and physical support. There is now, today, a renewed call for Christians to care for the pregnant woman who is afraid of the future, to help provide for the children that come into difficult and broken situations as vulnerable little ones, and to walk well with others through life and show them God's grace, show them his goodness, and most of all, Show him how he makes all things new through Jesus. 
Let's understand this, church family. Many in our spheres of influence and in our world do not know Jesus as their Savior and have not been made new. Their hearts and minds are not renewed. So proceed with grace. And most of all, make it about Christ. Let's win others over with grace as we function as a family of servant missionaries. Let's pray that the Lord would guard our hearts and our tongues as we respond and that in all things, he would get the glory. Lastly, to those listening or maybe listening today that have been affected by abortion, I want, to, I want you to hear something from us as a church. Jesus loves you. We, as Jesus' church, we love you too. So no matter what you think about how Christians have responded, we as the people of God care about you. Also know, if I can hold it together, that you are not alone, that there is help here. We have wonderful organizations, some that we get to support locally, like New Hope Family Services, and there are many opportunities for people to help you walk along this way, if you are afraid or if you just need to heal. That's our job as the people of God. So let's be real careful. Careful how we respond. Careful what you post, wherever you post it. There's no context involved in posting things. People don't know you. Let's be influential with the people that are in our lives. And let's win people to Christ as we go. Okay, that concludes our family meeting. So, I hope that you're both challenged and encouraged. God is at work, and, and I'm super excited about what God has done this week, but I can tell you this, no court decision is gonna save our world. Okay, only Jesus does that. So let's keep the main thing the main thing. And as we do, as we move forward, let's pray for his grace to be so overwhelming in our world that people are one to him in the midst of our very divided age that we live in. All right, Psalm 34. Turn there with me as we jump in and talk through another psalm. Psalm 34 particularly is a psalm that David has come out of a life-threatening situation and he is renewed in his desire to remind himself and to remind others, those in his kingdom and also us today, remind us of how good God is and how we should respond to God's goodness in our own lives. This comes uh, out of a time where David was in a very dangerous place. He ended up, this, this account is recorded for us in 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 22, verse 1. And he has to flee. He's fleeing. He ends up in front of uh, a king uh, in Gath. And then he ends up scared. And what he ends up doing to get out of the king's presence and not be harmed is he literally decides in that moment to act like an insane person. And the king says, who is this madman? Get him out of here, instead of killing him. And as David comes out of that life-threatening experience and he flees into the caves, he is reminded of how good God is, both when he is recognizing it and when he is not recognizing it, that God's goodness is overwhelming. Much like David, difficult times have a great tendency to clarify what is important in life. Very much like him. 
Trials often draw us to be reminded about what is most important in our world. Often these times have needed reminders in emotional moments like David is. And you remember, as we talk our way through Psalms, Psalms is this place where many of the emotions of God's people are harnessed. And many of the emotions that God's given us are brought under the great canopy of God's character and his grace. So as we see these emotions kind of get poured out, we see David here, he's overwhelmed with God's protection. And as he responds, he does respond somewhat emotionally, but he responds very pointedly about God's character and what that means to him. Sometimes these near-death experiences or just trying times happen in our lives and we tend to just move right on from them. But what we need to do is much like what David has done. We need to pause and we need to set up memorials to God's goodness so that later in life we're reminded of what those really hard times, even life-threatening times, or times where we feel like we have no hope and God pulls us through, carries us through, and provides for us, we need to be reminded of how he has done that in the past. And that's what David does here in Psalm 34. He writes these words down so that the people of God can be reminded continually. And even now, thousands of years later, we're reading them and being reminded of who God is. We need those in our personal lives as well, these memorials. We get distracted easily. I think of one in my personal life. On November 4th, 2016, I had a heart event and ended up in the hospital, ended up overnight, and then had a procedure done to fix it, and literally thought to myself, what is going on? And I don't spend much time in a hospital, but I remember being in a hospital that night, overnight, by myself, and thinking, Lord, what are you trying to show me? And what is really important here? And I wrote a few things down, and this was one of the Psalms that I ended up in while I was there and thinking through, what if I don't make it through this? What do I want to be remembered? What is our life supposed to be built on so that it lasts longer than us? This Psalm gave me three things that David encouraged us with, and I think that God preserves for us in order to have our life pointed in the right direction. Here's the three. I'm going to give them to you now. We're going to work our way through the first 10 verses of Psalm 34 this morning. First, we are called to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. In verses 1 through 3, that's laid out for us, and we'll look at that momentarily. Secondly, we're called to seek the Lord. So bless the Lord and seek the Lord. And then third, we're called to fear the Lord. Not in a scary fear, but in a reverence that God lays out for us here in Scripture. So look at Psalm 34. I'm going to read the first 10 verses, and then when we're done reading, we're going to pull apart some things that God has for us this morning. Psalm 34, verse 1 says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. 
and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Pray the Lord to give us some wisdom and insight today as we look into these. And the first thing you see in verse one is the command or the reminder that David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Just that first half of a sentence is probably enough for us to spend our entire sermon on today. The idea that we can, as the people of God who know God, in any circumstance, at any time, no matter what is going on around us, can bless the Lord. And not only can we, we should. David was fleeing for his life when he wrote these words. It wasn't after he was done fleeing for his life. This is in the middle of when he was fleeing for his life. He was living in a cave at this particular moment. And he was reminded by God's deliverance out of a dangerous situation that he needed to bless the Lord at all times. Both when things look great and we feel like blessing the Lord and when things look dim and we're not sure how to bless the Lord, still do it. The discipline of blessing the Lord in all times and in every circumstance is the discipline that helps us grow in maturity. It helps us grow in our reliance upon God. See, we as the people of God need to be continually reminded that our earthly circumstances and our current emotions do not rule the day. They don't rule the day. They may feel like they rule the day, and we may allow them to rule our day, but they do not rule the day. God does. It's a phrase I was reminded of as I was preparing today. How does it look for us to bless the Lord at all times? It's a reminder that no matter what trial we are in, no matter what difficulty we have experienced, it may feel like it is fiery and hot all around us, but God has his hand on the temperature and has his eyes on the timer. He is in control. One of the things that continually impresses me when I watch older saints walk with Jesus through difficult times. And there are so many examples of these. If you, if you have not had the opportunity to get around people who have been walking with Jesus for longer than you've been alive, you need to find those people and watch their lives. Because there's a difference that happens when you've walked with God through many difficult situations and remained faithful to him. It changes you. It changes your perspective on the world. It changes how you respond when things look like they're falling apart. Walking with the Lord through hard times and being faithful to him, blessing him continually, changes our hearts, our minds, and our worldview. So we need to remember to bless the Lord at all times. David is doing this, and David writes these words down probably to remind himself. Next time I end up in a similar circumstance, what am I supposed to be doing? How has God's grace changed me? It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. This is a word, bless, 
that says to speak a good word. That's what this word means. To speak a good word. So, say what you are thankful for about the Lord out loud. Say it. Speak it. Sometimes your own ears need to hear it. So say it out loud, and other people will want to hear it and need to hear it as well. But here's what saying the Lord's goodness and speaking his goodness out loud does for us. It solidifies what we believe. That's why we sing what we sing. When we sing songs, when we gather together and sing songs together, they are a reflection of God's character towards us, and we need to say them out loud. Even if you don't like singing, I encourage you to sing anyway. I'm horrible at it. That's why I sing in the front, so nobody has to hear me. Right? But singing and speaking God's name and his goodness and his grace to us and his miracles and his promises and his fulfillments, saying them out loud, it does something different. That's what this word bless is. This isn't a bless in your own mind quietly. This is to speak a good word about the Lord. So help that. I, I think we need to find rhythms of life where we're consistently saying God's goodness out loud. He goes on and says, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. The word praise here is literally declaring who he is. So David says here, I'm not only going to speak a good word about the Lord, I am going to continually talk about who God is. Talking about his character, talking about his goodness. See, we as the people of God, we really should be consistently talking about how good God is. His character is overwhelming if you just slow down and look at it. Take some moments and, and look at what he's done, not only through history, but just in our own personal lives. God is good, and his praise should continually be in our mouths. So if you're underlining or taking notes, you're looking in your Psalms journal, I want to encourage you to underline a few words or highlight them. Bless, praise, then in verse 2 here, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. We often think of boasting as a bad thing. Boasting in yourself is a bad thing. Boasting in the Lord is actually what you were created for. Boasting in the Lord. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Literally to talk about. That's this word boast is to talk about. So when we boast in ourselves, we're talking about ourselves all the time. When we boast in the Lord, we're talking about him. And let our boasts be made about him, not about us. About what he's done in our lives. So underline bless, underline praise, underline boast in the Lord. And then we go on. Let the humble hear and be glad. Let the humble hear our blessings. Let the humble hear our praises. Let the humble hear our boasting in the Lord. And they will be made glad. Verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. The next word to underline to be reminded of is magnify here. What does it mean to magnify the Lord? We've talked about speaking a good word about him. We've talked about praising, talking about who he is. We've talked about boasting, looking to him for all of our goodness and anything that good that happens in our world. What does it mean to magnify as David goes on? To magnify is to tell how great someone is. God's greatness. What does that mean for us in our world? It means when you get confronted with something that seems like it's completely out of control 
in your life or in the life of somebody around you or maybe in the public life that might scare you, when you are looking at things that look like nobody is controlling them, you stop and remind yourself and say out loud, God is great. He is the one in control. God is great. He is the one in control. I may not know what's going on. I may not understand what's going on. I might not like what's going on. But he is great. He is the one in control of all that goes on. Magnify the Lord. Tell about his greatness. And then lastly, underline exalt at the end of verse 3. Let us exalt his name together. This word exalt is to lift up. To lift up. So what do we do as the people of God? If we want to be reminded consistently of God's grace in our lives, if we want to understand how to endure difficult situations and trials and things that come into our lives that we may not like or appreciate, we need to exalt him. Here's what happens when you exalt the Lord. You exalt the Lord and your eyes come off yourself. You exalt the Lord and people around you, their eyes come off you too. Because life is not about you or me. Life is about him. So when we are able to actually lift him up, it draws attention to himself and off of us. What does that do for us as human beings, as broken people? It relieves the pressure. You don't have to be perfect. You can't be perfect. But he is, and he will continue to be. So by exalting him, it literally takes the burden off of you and I. Don't exalt yourself. In a world where everything tells you to exalt yourself. Everything. Everything outside of God's plan for you will tell you that you are at the center of your own universe. And if I think about that, Myself at the center of my own universe, that is an incredibly small universe. Where's the wonder in that? Where's the awe? No, no. I know myself. I know my heart. You know yourself. You're not the center of the universe. Neither am I. Let's be honest. God is. And in exalting him, things are put in their rightful place. David need to, be, need to be reminded of these things in these first three verses. Bless at all times, praise continually, boast in the Lord, magnify with, with me his, himself, and exalt the Lord together. A little prescription there for keeping your heart and your emotions pointed in the right direction. What does it look like to do this, to go forward and have this be a pattern in our life? Look at verse four with me. So he goes from the the actual commands and remarkable challenges of the first three verses for how we're supposed to respond to things to then in verse four, remarking how the Lord gave him grace to respond. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. How many people want to sign up for that? Verse four and five, I'm in, sounds good. This sounds like a wonderful place to reside. Asking questions and God answers. Being fearful and God delivers. Looking to him and being made radiant 
And then, as he wraps up, the faces of those who seek him and are answered, who, deliver, who are delivered from their fears, who look to him, their faces shall never be ashamed. What does this mean, this word ashamed? It means disappointed. To be ashamed is to be disappointed in yourself. And see, here's what happens in, too often in our world, in our own lives. When we steal God's glory and we make life about ourselves, the expectations that puts on our lives, we continually cannot measure up to. And then we're ashamed. Because we've set the standard of our own lives as stealing God's glory and trying to be perfect. And then we're not perfect, we're disappointed. And people around us are disappointed. Instead, if we've done what the psalmist has already called us to do, and we're blessing the Lord continually, his praise is always in our mouths. We're making it about him, we're boasting in him, and we're exalting his name. What happens when we look to him? We look to him, and he answers our needs. He delivers us from our fears. And we're not ashamed, because we weren't the ones in the spotlight. He is. And he gets all the glory. So the expectations don't rest on us. The expectations don't rest on David. He was the king of Israel. It's said that he is the greatest king that Israel's ever had. He had more power and wealth and influence at times in his life than any of us are ever going to experience. But God had humbled him through his own brokenness, and through God's grace and deliverance in his life to make sure that David had reminders and was reminded continually that life is about God and his glory. Not about us. When we steal it, we end up ashamed. When we make it about him, our faces are never ashamed. Because God never fails and always comes through. Verse six, he goes on, he says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. That's a wonderful phrase. You ever just think about that very reality? David says, I cried out and God heard me. Think about God's grace and goodness towards us. When we cry out, the king of the universe, the creator of all things, the restorer of all things, the one who is sovereign in all things, when we cry out, he hears us. Seriously? God hears us when we cry out. David's proclamation here that he cried out and God heard him is an incredibly intimate profession. He's saying, I was broken and lost. I had nothing to do other than cry out to him. And he didn't turn away. He didn't say, I'm really disappointed in you. He didn't say, there you are, David, you messed it up again. He didn't do those things. What did he do? He heard his cries. And as he heard his cries, look at the second half of verse six. And he saved me out of all my troubles. David said, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. God hears you when you cry out to him. And God wants to deliver you from whatever it is you're going through. And he may deliver you immediately or he may carry you through it 
and deliver you in the end. But no matter what God's plan and process is for you to rely more on him and for him to get the glory, we need to trust him with it. Because we know his character and we know that he loves us. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. That is good news, folks. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Thank you, Jesus. That's good because everything else we put our faith in is going to be insufficient. But God's protection in our lives, his good hand on all things, and the angel of the Lord literally encamping around us and delivering us is such good news for us as humans. Because we mess all kinds of stuff up. We can't protect ourselves. We can't protect other people. It's not part of who we are. We're called to work towards that as a reflection of God's character. But the ultimate protector, the only one who always does it perfectly, is him. David in verses 6 and 7 is saying, this is what I did. And he's encouraging the rest of us with the fact that it turned out pretty good. It turned out pretty good. I looked to him, I blessed him, I was praising him, I'm exalting the Lord, and the Lord delivers me. The angel of the Lord camps around me. He carries me through my troubles and he hears my cries. Verse eight, after all these professions of how the Lord has empowered David to respond, we get into verse eight. And this is the section of fearing the Lord. What does it look like to fear the Lord and know him? What does it look like to have a healthy reverence and understanding of who God is? This is something we see all through scripture. It's not a fear in the sense of being scared. This is a different word. This is a word that talks about reverence and respect. It's a word that talks about a right understanding of God's place and ours. And when we have a right understanding of God's place in ours, there's a particular sense of peace and rest that comes along with it. Verse four through seven talks about seeking the Lord. First, we talked about blessing the Lord. Second, we talked about seeking the Lord and how, God, how David did that in his own life and wanted to be reminded of both himself and others be reminded about seeking the Lord. And here we talk about fearing the Lord in verse eight. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. These couple encouragements here in verses eight and nine. Taste and see that the Lord is good. See, we as humans are broken and limited in our understanding. So sometimes... We just need to be encouraged to try it. Just try it. This happens to us in life all the time, right? Maybe it's a new food. You go to a new restaurant, you go to maybe different kind of food you've never had and your friends with you or maybe your family, they're like, no, no, it's good, try it. Try it and see, right? Now, in our broken world, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't, okay? 
I have this lifelong process that so many around me try to keep helping me understand how good coffee is, right? And, and it's constantly, here's a new one, try this one. What's it taste like? Coffee. I told you before I tried it, I don't like coffee. If you find me one that doesn't taste like coffee, I might like it. But this is reality in our world. We're encouraged in this all the time. What do we want? How do we experience new things? How do we get exposed to things that are good for, good for us or maybe not? It's by trying them, right? People around us that care would say, no, no, it's really good. Try it. And every once in a while, you'll try something that you would probably not try on your own. But then once you taste it, hey, that's really good. That's what David's talking about here. He's saying, listen, I'm telling you what God's done in my life. I'm telling you how he empowered me to respond. I'm not expecting you to know everything because of my experience. Try it yourself. You try. David is so confident that at trying it, you will be so overwhelmed with God's goodness that there is nobody that will turn away. So try trusting God. Try blessing him. Try exalting him. Try making life about him. Try your burdens being released so that you don't end up in shame trying to hold all the expectations that only God's supposed to hold. Try it. See how it goes. I can tell you this, continually in my own personal life and in ministry that God's been able to give me the opportunity to do, when someone tries the goodness of God, they come back for more. They come back for more. When we are reminded of God's goodness, we go back for more. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I am confident that every person we can convince to try this will understand how good God is. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Verse 9 Fear the Lord, you his saints. What do you mean fear the Lord? Have a right reverence about who God is. We talk about all the things that God has done in our world and in our lives. He is not someone to be trifled with, to put it lightly. Don't mess with God. It's not worth it. Don't test the Lord. Say, you know what, God, if you're in control, I'm going to try this over here, see what you do. That is a bad plan. It is a faulty plan for life. And it's the opposite of what we see happening in David's life. Because David wasn't testing God. David was trusting God. And when we trust God, his goodness is overwhelming towards us. And then we come back again. This is the same sentiment that happens in James chapter 1. As God said, trials exist in your life to create endurance. How is that? Because when you go through a trial and you're faithful to God and you trust him, he shows you his goodness. And then when the next trial comes, you say, I'll get through this one too. Because God is good. And he'll take me through it. And that's endurance. And you can endure bigger things. And you can get through harder things. Because you have proven to trust God in the midst of them. Fear the Lord, you as saints, for those who fear him have no lack. That's a big statement. Those who fear the Lord will lack nothing. Verse 10, he uses a little bit of a 
pictorial example for us. He says, the young lions suffer want and hunger. Why does he use that phrase? Because lions are powerful animals. They are the king of the jungle. They are probably some of the most feared animals in our world. And what does he say about them? The young lions, these lions that are feared and people watch and are amazed by and try to stay away from, they even get hungry and lack food. There's nothing else what David is trying to tell us here. There's no other mighty force in our world. There's no other majestic being in our circumference that we'll experience or watch or hear about. There is no one else and nothing else that can provide you with no lack. They can provide everything you need. Everything else will fall short. He says, the young lions suffer and want, want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Fear the Lord. Taste and see. Take refuge in him. Fear him and seek him. One of the reasons I love these 10 verses out of Psalm 34 is that they are literally a prescription for a healthy life. They're a prescription for a spiritual life, for a godly life, for one that is free from the pressures and anxieties that so easily come upon us. When we respond the way that God has intended and created us to respond, we see his goodness and we respond even better the next time. Faithfulness. Bless the Lord, seek the Lord, fear the Lord. Psalm 34 takes us through those. And I hope this morning as we think about what it is that God has for us, we think about this in light of our everyday world. Have you set up reminders in your life to God's goodness? Are you in this consistent rat race we talk about, moving forward all the time and thinking about what's next and how do we conquer the next thing and how do we move forward in our world? And we haven't taken time to actually pause so you remember, David's writing this sitting in a cave. When he's on a run for his life, he had moments of solitude, probably where he was feeling very alone. And in those moments, he has the opportunity to remind himself of who God is. And they again place his faith in him. Do you have those in your life? Have you put out memorials in your life to point you back to God's goodness when you're not necessarily emotionally feeling it? but something that points you back to the facts of God's character and what he's done. And then, can we as the people of God respond the way that God has intended for us to respond? By blessing him, by seeking him, and by fearing him. It will relieve the burden in your life and will allow God to do what he has been wanting to do in your life. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us do this as we go forward. So they're not just words on a page, but actually things that get worked out in our lives.